Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast, exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle. How do I wrap my head around this idea that he could have cancer again and he might not be with me for as long as, you know, as I would like him to be? I struggled with that. As a parent of him as a baby, I mean, there was a moment I was standing in the hospital in St. Jude and I was having to choose between removing my son's eye and giving him radiation that was known to have more potential for giving him a fatal cancer. You know, those are the things that I, the types of things that I had to wrestle with. People often talk about cancer as a battle. You know, you're in this fight and you're fighting cancer. We wanted to actually be healing from cancer, not battling it. Because I was practicing so consistently and for so long every morning, I was really able to stay present. And when things came at me, you know, that I might have otherwise in the past reacted to, like, oh my gosh, this is so stressful, or why are you saying this to me? You know, none of that mattered anymore because it's like, oh, okay, you just observe it and kind of move on. You know, allowing yourself to be really specific with what you need, you know, is it's so hard, but it's okay. You know, that's what you need. And it is okay that you need that. (laughs) To live a life in a healing way is a challenge for many of us, right? (laughs) It is not easy. No one's saying it's easy. It's just worthwhile. (laughs) Hey, you guys, this is Judy with Wellness Renaissance and the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Jeannie Breidenbach is my guest today, and we are going to talk about this journey that she has been on, this intensive beginning with her son, Anders, that started out with a cancer diagnosis, turned into a discovery that he had a has a genetic condition. That means that he is susceptible to cancers throughout his life. So who knows what that's going to look like, right? So she had to wrap her head around that. And what does that mean for her to be a caregiver, to be there to support him, to support the rest of her family? As you can imagine, that sends one on a pretty intensive journey, introspectively and beyond. And she's going to share some of that with us today. And the work that she has ended up doing on herself, this whole process of being a caregiver and trying to answer some of these questions has been a pretty big deal in self-development for herself, as well as being that supportive caregiver for her son. So she's going to share with us her story and that experience. And as you've already heard, even from the opening, some pretty transformative moments. So I want to dive in, but I want to take a moment, of course, and thank you all for being listeners. Your comments in person, your emails, your comments on Facebook are huge and appreciated. Thank you so much for that. Thank you to the Patreon supporters, my Patreon community. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate you. You know, you have a very huge and special place in my heart. And I also want to thank our advertising sponsor, Green Home Solutions. So Green Home Solutions is a company, it's a national company, um, but we, of course, here in Duluth, 
have our very own green home solutions with Steve Stern. And I want to just mention a couple things. They do some great work with helping people clean out their basements as well as checking for mold. And if you check out their Facebook page, they have tips and things that you can learn to take care of your own space. So one of them being indoor air quality tip. Dun, 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 dun. Did you know that spider webs can be a sign of air leakage? I did not know that. And of course, air leakage then means that our efficiency of our home and our air quality might not be what we want it to be. And right now, if you are listening and you're in Duluth, Minnesota, you know that it is very cold outside. Wind chills at, you know, what, negative 30, sometimes more than that some of these nights. So efficiency, good. So check them out. Let them help you with any mold issues, allergen issues, air quality issues. You can reach them here at 218 576 5293. Also check out greenhomesolutions.com or if you are anywhere else in the country, you can call 1-800-SOLUTIONS. If you know anybody who has dealt with mold issues that have caused health challenges, you know that it can be a big deal. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I want to take you now and bring you into my conversation with Ginny. I have had the pleasure to be at a few different events with her. She's just got a huge and beautiful heart and is so genuine. And I feel really honored that she took me up on my ask to come on the show and talk about this. Because even though sometimes you want to do this and you want to put yourself out there, it's not always easy. And... I just, I really appreciate that she is willing to share herself and her story and her family with all of us. And though her journey certainly has some tough stuff in it, I hope that you will enjoy hearing about all of the successes along with the challenges. Ready to rock and roll? There we go. <laughs> Welcome, Ginny. I am so excited to have you. Today, we're going to talk about basically the space that you've kind of created for you and your son on his healing journey, but you kind of have done a lot of work yourself to be able to be a supportive mom around all of that. And I basically sharing your journey, you and I've talked about this and I've seen what you've been putting on Facebook and I've just been so impressed watching you and him. And it just seems like you're going through this tough journey with his illness in a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. I basically just reached out to you and said, Hey, (laughs) do you want to, do you want to share what's going on? And you were up for the task. So um, go ahead and introduce yourself and give us some, give us some background. Yeah. So thank you. First of all, so much for asking me to share on I'm thrilled for the opportunity to do that and just really welcomed your invitation. So I'm Ginny Breidenbach and I 
have spent a lot of time to be able to just plain old say I am Ginny Breidenbach and actually not add other labels to that. But uh, my capacity that I'm here today is really as a mother and my experience of being a mother to a child who was diagnosed with cancer at, as a baby and went through that experience um, as a young one and then was again recently diagnosed uh, and went through treatment this past year um, for cancer again. And so this this is the role that I am describing um, and how that's affected my life and my maybe wisdom and growth over over time as well. Yeah, well, and you so you have two kids, right? Yes. Okay. And, and how old are how old are they now? So uh, my daughter, Aurora, is 15, and my son, Anders, is now 13. Okay. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Anders. You know, like you said, he was diagnosed with cancer as a baby. He was diagnosed recently, and I know when we had talked, you had, you had mentioned that when he was young, you found out that he had, is it a genetic disposition to having cancer may continue to come up in his life, and you sort of had to just like prepare yourself for this. Yeah, so when Anders was uh, nine months old, um, we took him to his regular well baby visit and there was something wrong with the reflection of light in his eyes. Went to the ophthalmologist later that week and found out that he had retinoblastoma, which is a rare form of childhood cancer. And basically the next week we were in uh, Minneapolis at U of M Children's Hospital with him, starting the whole process of getting him on chemotherapy and getting treatment for him. As part of that early portion of, of his diagnosis, there was also genetic testing done and was determined that Anders carried this gene mutation uh, called the retinoblastoma or RB1 gene mutation, and it makes him susceptible to other types of cancers all throughout his life. Of course, when he was that little, you know, we were really thinking about the experience we were in right then and going through all of that more so than, you know, this this genetic mutation. Um, but once we were through kind of his treatment, then that became a bigger part of my experience as a mother and how I was going to live my life at that point. How did you wrap your head around that? That was, so once we, Anders was about four, he was nine months, and then we went through all this treatment. Finally, at just before his second birthday, we were, uh, got rid of all of the active cancer in his eyes. And then we had all of these follow-ups, routine follow-ups, and uh, just for, I mean, everything under the sun and all the effects of the chemotherapy had on his body, et cetera. And there came a point, he was about four where it was time for him to go to preschool and, you know, be as much of a normal kid as he could, which was always our intent through, through all of this. And then suddenly my little child that I had been caring for and protecting, you know, and holding on to, he was still breastfeeding at that time, just before his first fourth birthday, he decided to, to wean himself, you know, and suddenly I was like, okay, I have a kid. He's got some independence from me. You know, I'm his mom and he's got this thing. I can't hold on to him so tight, but how do I wrap my head around this idea that he could have cancer again and he might not be with me for as long as, you know, as I would like him to be. I struggled with that. And ultimately I decided that I needed to reorganize my life 
so that I was sure that I would never feel guilty for missing a moment with him or a special time with him because I was focused on something that wasn't as important, like my career or, uh, you know, other pursuits. So I, I basically went through the process of evaluating where I was spending my time, what was, you know, stressing me out that I was putting energy towards that really didn't support me and wasn't wasn't a place that I wanted to be actually putting my attention to. So I kind of reorganized my career. I made sure that I spent plenty, had plenty of time to be with my kids um, and support them growing up. I looked at all of the activities I was doing and made sure that I was doing things to live my life too, because I just had realized that life was super precious. It was, it was a process and it took a number of years really to go through all of that. But I just never wanted to look back and, and say, you know, I could have done this to be there with Anders when he was little or and Aurora and my husband, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was just this, re- he's like a constant reminder that life is precious. And when you have that reminder that you live with and kiss goodnight every, you know, every night, and you're so grateful that he's there to kiss goodnight, it's like, gosh, you know, I better do something about this. This is an opportunity for me to really learn how to live and be present in, in this time with what's going on right now in my life. That's how I took it, you know, is to see that preciousness of life and reorganize around that. You think about that, like you said, you have this reminder. I love kind of hearing the holistic way that you're thinking about this because you're sort of really pinpointing on, it isn't just about how do I make him okay? How do I, you know, how do I only be there for him? But it is also, how do I be there for my family? How do we support? So looking at the big picture and how do I support myself through all of this? Is there anything like when you kind of were taking stock of everything of I'm I'm hearing you and I'm thinking, where would I like begin? You know, I mean, I know some people are listening where we got their charts and graphs and like, (laughs) but maybe talk about that, even just that thought process or that, that piece of kind of figuring those pieces out of the questions you were asking yourself in that. As you mentioned, I had this understanding that you know, I could have gone the route of just 100% dedicating myself to my son and my daughter, and, you know, just kind of giving over my life to supporting them moving forward. But that wasn't what I saw as being the approach that ultimately would serve them best and, and certainly wouldn't have served me best. So I saw this idea of life as precious. It's not only... Anders life that was precious. It was my life that was precious too. And knowing that then, you know, what were the things that I needed to do to really be able to live in a way that made me feel really good? And one of the questions I think that I asked myself was, in particular, at the, the one of the first things I tackled was, was my career and the work that I was doing. I had been working in consulting for a very long time in the water resources environmental engineering field, and I ha- had wanted to, to not do that anymore, but I was scared. You know, I just hadn't, you know, addressed that. And 
I decided through this process that I really needed to look at that and why I was putting so much of my identity around uh, my career and my job. And as part of that process, I actually kind of broke that. Like my, when I introduced myself as Ginny Breidenbach, period, that's who I am. I'm not Ginny Breidenbach, environmental engineer anymore, which I used to be for a very long time. (laughs) That was my identity. So I really started looking at that and I kind of, I made a change, a big change. I, I stopped my consulting job and then I actually opened a, a small farm uh, market gardening CSA. So I had people getting vegetables from me every week. It was something I had always dreamt about doing, but never took the step to do. And, and that experience actually uh, really gave me a lot of satisfaction and realization that I had spent far too much time aligning myself with my career identity as a person. Then I also, you know, took a look at how I wanted to be as a mother. What was the example I wanted to give to my kids? And part of that was, you know, to give them the example of living and doing things in their lives that really supported and fulfilled them and made them happy. And, you know, I, one can't do that when you're, when you're giving yourself up to other people, you can only do that and lead by example in that way, by really paying attention to what you need. So I, I think that was the kind of this, the, the start of it is really looking at my career and my identity. And once I started following that path of things that felt really good to me, then, you know, kind of things just grew like I started sailing, for example, and racing sailboats. And that became this thing that I absolutely love. And I put all this, you know, time and and attention and and fun into doing that because it felt so good. And, uh, you know, things like that, you know, and then just being really intentional about my time with my children, that I would be there in the morning for them and be there when they came home from school at those important moments when they needed me you know, not all the time, but at those important times that worked for all of us. Yeah, what an interesting (laughs) reorganization and, you know, self-examining. I mean, just the whole, what am I doing and what do I want to be doing? You know, I I think about just how far sometimes we go in our lives to do the thing we're quote unquote supposed to do, right? You know? (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that was me a hundred percent. I mean, so I was like the kindergartner that was like the overachiever. I mean, my whole life doing exactly going by the book, following all of the rules, you know, you know, marching through college in four years and getting my professional engineering license as soon as I possibly could, you know, I was that person. Mm -hmm. Um, and gosh, I had to let that all go. I One of the other things I did was I, with Anders, when he was so little, I had to travel all over with him for his treatment. And which meant I had to leave my young toddler preschool age daughter home with my husband, who is a wonderful father, and uh, with, my, with my parents. And my mom became like surrogate mother for my child. And that was devastating for me. So once everything settled down and I looked at my career and I looked, was going through all of this process of really examining things, I decided that I needed to homeschool my kids for a while because I needed to reconnect with my daughter and have this really careful, intentional time spent with her to 
you know, make that clear to her that I was present. And, and then for me to also be able to kind of reconnect with her and have as much time as all that I had missed, you know, um, so that was also part of the process and going against the grain of like, oh, I'm taking my kids out of school and I'm homeschooling them. Like, you know, who does that? At least at the time this happened, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had met people in my life when I was a kid that had done it. And I was like, oh man, that sounds so awesome. But you know, when I did this, I was, I was not a person who went against the grain and like, suddenly here I am taking my kids out of school we're unschooling at home. We're not following a curriculum. We're doing what's fun. Like, I mean, oof, crazy, especially for, you know, Miss Engineer Brain Organization. It was right. like, I was going to say, that's a very big shift for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we were just going wild with going, you know, like finding what worked for us. Uh, yeah, but it was so good. And eventually my kids went back to school on their own oh. choice. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So how long did you, how long did you homeschool them? And then what kind of made the decision for them to go back? Well, let's see, Aurora, she came out of school when she was in second grade and Anders was in a kindergarten or had finished kindergarten. And Aurora went back to school part-time. So she was still technically homeschooled when she was in sixth grade. And really through middle school, she was still we tried to send her back and then she had actually this terrible health issue go on of her own for about a year. So she ended up homeschooling longer than we anticipated. But ultimately then when high school came, she went full-time just to regular high school in ninth grade. Anders decided in fourth grade, so he had been homeschooled for three years, he decided fourth grade, he wanted to go back. And then he just went back and Aurora was still home. And that was just his choice and the way it worked. And it was all it was all fine. Worked out that way. How was it for you? I'm just thinking of, of you know, when you were kind of going through all of the uh, the treatments and like you said, you had to travel. How did that balance out with you and your husband? Like in just how were you guys able to sort of make peace with that? Because those are big decisions in, you know, in this process of how you're going to do that. That was challenging you know, ultimately, we had, Anders was first treated in the Twin Cities. Uh, and so Mike and I would travel together and we would go on the weekends is when Anders would get his chemotherapy and have his eye exams under anesthesia. Um, and we were a, a team. And then suddenly our doctor said, you need to go to St. Jude in Memphis. And then there was financial support for one parent to go with the child. So then we were separated. And I was going with Anders every three weeks to St. Jude for five days. So that was a, that was a huge deal to be leaving my young child. And um, but Mike, with help of my mom, you know, basically became in charge of Aurora and doing everything that she needed. And then I was in charge of everything Anders related. And that's kind of how we we separated things. Ultimately. After a few months at St. Jude, um, we had a really terrible choice to make with Anders' treatment, and we ended up choosing to go for a, a new treatment option, this kind of novel treatment option in, in New York City. So we started traveling there at once a month, uh, you know, for a week is where I was going with Anders, and I did that, I think, for 11 months. So it was, that was hard. You know, Mike basically took over the home front. I lived out of a suitcase, a little red suitcase that was parked in my, on the floor in my bedroom. 
And, you know, and my job was taking care of Anders and getting into all those appointments and communicating back with Mike, you know, um, it was tough. Yeah, (laughs) I bet. Yeah, you guys are both, you know, missing the, he's missing Anders time and you're missing Aurora time, you know, it just, yeah, yeah, that's hard. So you had a period of time where life was happening, Anders was, Anders was good. And then was this last year kind of the next big shift for you in that? Yeah, there, um, well, as part of the in-between time, there were some other pretty big things I, I think that happened to me as far as my personal growth, including a couple of of trips to Peru um, for retreats in the mountains to really deal with some 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 pretty serious personal issues that had been buried <laughs> in the past. Um, you know, so really that whole time between, you know, Anders is about four until, uh, gosh, leading up to, you know, probably a year before he was diagnosed the second time, I was really doing a lot of soul, soul searching, a lot of growing really intentionally to grow and kind of address, uh, you know, all of the things I, I saw that that were kind of standing in my way and allowing, you know, in, in, in the way of allowing me to really be um, who I really wanted to be showing up in the world as. So the time of, for about a year before Anders was diagnosed, I was in a really good place of of, uh, you know, learning some new spiritual practices, meditation, I became uh, something that I really delved into strongly with a daily meditation practice. The few months leading up to Anders' diagnosis, which was almost a year ago now, I had learned a new meditation technique uh, called Vipassana meditation. And I was doing like 45 minutes every morning uh, of meditation, starting my day that way. And so I, you know, I had that real benefit of, you know, allowing myself to take this time to, to for myself, for my growth and for, for doing things like this, uh, you know, making room in my life for things like this. And um, turns out that, you know, those four or five months of really doing this Vipassana meditation really put my, me in a great headspace to be able to address a second cancer diagnosis for my son. Yeah. Do, do you, before we get into, do you want to talk about what the meditation is? Like what, yeah. what yeah, that I, like? I, I sure will. So the pasana is a, is a type of meditation that it, it's, uh, it's interestingly taught at um, these silent retreats. So I went to a three-day silent retreat to learn this Vipassana meditation. Uh, you know, there are also people that, it, places that you can go for these 10-day t- retreats where you're silent and learning this meditation. But the Vipassana meditation is really about, uh, as you're meditating, you're slowly scanning basically every part of your body and looking for any sort of feeling in your and your body um, that feels tense or dense or different or sore. And as you're doing these scans, when you come to one of those places, you pause on it and you focus in on that feeling. So, um, and then you move on and then you're just scanning and then you move on and you look for other places like that. And you, you just slowly are scanning your body in that way. And ultimately what it does over time is it allows you to see 
that those in your daily life, those dense or painful or difficult or stressful moments that you have are just a part of everything else. So that you can, you know, be there for a while in that stress difficult moment, and then you move on. And so, and it's, to me, it was because I was practicing so consistently and for so long every morning, uh, it was just so helpful. I was really able to stay present. And when things came at me, you know, that I might have otherwise in the past reacted to, uh, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is so stressful, or why are you saying this to me, or uh, I can't believe this person did this to me, you know, none of that mattered anymore, because it's like, oh, okay, you just observe it and kind of move on. <laughs> I, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, I can't say enough good things about that. I uh, just have really appreciated that as a practice in my life. Just thinking about that in that whole ability to, like you said, observe as opposed to react right like we we talk we hear about how meditation is so great for us especially if you're consistent with it right you know so so what i'm hearing from you is that you had this created sort of the space not only had you practiced it so your body was just in tune like i imagine that you know after you've been doing this for months you just get into that space right like a lot of times when we start meditating until you find something that resonates with you. Sometimes you feel like you're forcing yourself into meditation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It can be so hard. So difficult. Yeah. Right. And finding that, finding that thing that resonates, but then having that even get easier and your body start to have like muscle memory in a sense of when you go into meditation, you just go into meditation as opposed to the the process, I would assume. And I haven't done a meditation practice, especially one that long for that length of consistency, your body just kind of remembers, right? So then you're going, you're going through that. And then you're taking that with you when you leave your meditation place. So you have these months where your body really gets to experience and, and do and gain that muscle memory. And then you have, you know, this comes up with a new diagnosis with your son and your body just goes, okay, we're here. We got this. Yes. And it seems almost too simple. Um, But it, I mean, it really was, um, was like that. It was like, it really had become where my daily life was so infused with the results of that practice that when we brought Anders in to, to see a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, we did an x-ray, we're sitting in, Mike and I are in the room, the x-ray comes up on the screen, Anders is right there, the doctor is shocked at what he's looking at. He's actually shocked in a way that he is uh, is actually saying things in a way that had he been able to, you know, maybe have a little bit more composure, he might not have said in the way with Anders being in the room. I mean, mm-hmm. not to say anything, uh, you know, negative about that, but he was so like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, he knew we were looking at basically something very serious, uh, serious growth in, in Anders' leg. And as I am watching this go on, I'm watching because of the space that I was in, I'm watching my husband's reaction 
I'm watching the doctor's reaction. I'm watching my son's reaction and I'm able to keep myself like, okay, this is a moment where I need to just be really present and stay grounded because, because this is one of those moments in life that, you know, is like, you'll never forget it. It's just terrible news. Like how do people to react? react to this. And I, in that moment, I was able to watch this all in an observer sort of way and remain right next to my son, breathing calmly, asking those calm questions. And so that I could give him some reassurance that, you know, my, you know, this is terrible. Like, how do we react to this? He doesn't know. He was a baby when he was diagnosed before. He had no idea. Um, this is a, for a at the time, 12 year old, this is like incredible moment in his life. And I was able to be, you know, holding his hand and sitting right next to him and like, okay, here we are, you know, we're moving forward, we can do this, you know, that was what I wanted to convey to him and was able to kind of, as a result of that practice. Right. Wow. Because yeah, as a mom, you know, all of a sudden, this thing is happening, and you're feeling these feelings for him you know, but to, but to be able to stay grounded, you know, it doesn't minimize the issue. It just takes the maybe intensity or fear out of it a little bit. And I'm I'm thinking about times in my life where I've reacted in a way that I look back and went, wow, I handled that really well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and you kind of go, where did I pull that from? You know, where, why wasn't I, you know, why, why wasn't I sort of freaking out more or whatever, you know, but it's thinking about how you get through that. It kind of can set the, sets the table for how, how you go forward. And I can imagine for Anders, it probably just set a really different tone for him as he went forward his experience as you as a mom and my experience as a, as a kid with my mom, I think we're very, very, very different. <laughs> and I'm thinking of when you have scary news as a kid and your parent kind of freaks out. And, and I grew up in a household where when you were sick, you were kind of in trouble. Like I, I always felt like it was my fault, right? Like it, whatever was happening and yeah. that sets you in, in one place too, right? And how you're trying to figure out how to how to process through, but you're also watching other people, right? As a kid, you're very sensitive to these things, you know? Yes, so yes. I'm just thinking for him, yeah, does he talk? I mean, and, and I imagine you don't have enough space from it yet, like when he's 20. Yes. <laughs> It'll be really interesting to hear what he says about that. But I can imagine that, yeah, that was a huge just, okay, mom's mom's got this, you know, and, and whatever was happening with everybody else, but it just gave him sort of that space to, to have some grounding for his own, his own reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm sort of some sort of wonder woman by able to being able to like, you know, hold this moment, but, but ultimately, you know, what you described as that a child what I learned from him when he was really young and then watching all these other families and going through all this treatment and everything, you know, children in particular, but I think very much so with adults as well, we just don't realize it as much, you know, are so influenced by kind of the demeanor, the energy, the, uh, you know, those emotions of, of the folks that are, you know, people that are close to them. And my MO 
you know, through all of his medical experience and also with my daughter and helping her through her issues that she had um, really was to be like, okay, you know, this is just what we're doing. And it's not great news and not everybody gets this kind of experience, but uh, you know, this is what we're doing and it's just the moment that's here for us. And I think that sort of, you know, grounded feeling from a parent, I imagine for him, I don't know, but just as observing him, that had to be some sort of like lifeline for him. Like, you know, I'm not falling off a cliff right now. Like I might feel like it, but somebody's holding my hand, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that would be interesting to hear when he's older. Uh, right. He looks back. <laughs> well, and, you know, at that point, I can imagine, like you said, he was pretty young, so he doesn't even know maybe what all of that means. What does this information mean to him yet? Yes. So, and that was a, a totally new thing because as a baby, you know, uh, Mike and I as parents made all of the decisions. He was, you know, baby toddler. He, you know, there was no input from him other than those little minor things that you give, you know, a child to feel like they have ownership in a situation. Um, but, you know, now we were suddenly in this point where we have this child who needs to understand everything that's being said and what the path forward is. And then he had some, you know, he had a, he had a, it basically osteosarcoma, a bone, cancer of the bone in his lower femur and his right leg. And ultimately uh, his treatment was nine months of really intense chemotherapy that was a lot of hospital stays, a lot of making him very sick. But then we also had to decide what was the surgery he was going to have and what was the reconstruction that he was going to have with his leg, you know, to kind of, once they took the tumor out, you know, they're taking out his lower femur and he's got to either have an amputation or a reconstruction or a, there's this other special reconstruction. So he had input, you know, and we had to make sure he was understood everything going in. That was very different this time around for sure. Yeah, I bet. Wow. What a big decision for, to make like a lot of things you have to think about at that age to, to make some version of a decision. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. With that. Yeah. And even as, you know, but ultimately too, you know, as, as a parent of him, as a baby, I mean, there was a moment I was standing in the hospital in St. Jude and I was having to choose between removing my son's eye and giving him radiation that would potentially give him a fatal cancer that, that was known to get, have more potential for giving him a fatal cancer um, in the radiation field. Those are my two choices. So I'm talking about removing body parts from my child or having him possibly die a horrible death from this treatment later. Um, you know, and then that was the moment we ended up finding another treatment possibility in New York and that story didn't end that way. But, you know, those are the things that I, the types of things that I had to wrestle with then And I think, too, the knowing and having that experience, it's like your perspective on what's important and what are difficult choices just really changes (laughs) after that. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So I'll think about that next time. Like, oh, my gosh, where do I want to go for dinner? (laughs) It's so hard. (laughs) Right. Right. <laughs> so I I watched you from sort of afar on Facebook just go through this process and 
you know, I, I don't remember what my first awareness was of hearing that he was diagnosed, but one of the things that I just remember really kind of pulling me into thinking about what things must be like on your end of the world was seeing you reach out for help with dinners. And I, I had the thought, I don't remember what came across, but you know, there was like, okay, we need help with food. We're going through this big, long treatment time. And can people sign up for bringing meals and dropping them on our porch? And here's our dietary guidelines, which I love that you had and you didn't make an apology for. Like, this is just the way it is. You know, if you're going to do this, this is what we need, right? And having the schedule, and I was just so like, impressed at how organized it was and also just thought how cool it was that you were able to reach out and ask for that kind of help and that consistency that you were asking for because it wasn't a big ask but it was a big thing you know I mean you know what I mean I mean like I didn't feel like what you were asking was a lot how cool to be able to help in that way um, for for people to do that how much of a boost Tell me where where your perspective was to take that part of one's world off their plate. Yes. So, uh, you know, this topic is a little larger than, uh, you know, just having dinners delivered to your to your doorstep, uh, because it really is about, you know, am I willing to ask for the help that I need Am I willing to let people help me in a way that uh, they feel, you know, they, they, they can do and that they feel like they are, are helping. Um, So that is, it, uh, that was a big learning process for me. You know, I went through some of it when Anders, when Anders was young and it was hard to accept help because, you know, you're a, strong independent woman like you can do all of this like who knew I can't you know I, I don't need someone dropping dinner off my door right. you know I, I can do this I'll make myself crazy and I'll stay up until midnight and pull all my hair out but you know I'll do this all myself you know so you have it, it's really a process to let go and let people help so that meal menu, I was actually contacted by a friend saying, listen, um, I think this could be helpful for you. What do you think? I will set this up for you. And I had to be able to say yes to that um, at that moment, to that person helping me in that way. And then for all of those meals to be coming in, it was amazing. I mean, I, you know, I don't like to cook. Um, my husband cooks, but the, the fact that we had dinner every night for like, I think it was almost like, seemed like three months that people, you know, had signed up and it was so consistent. And I was in the hospital, I mean, for, you know, lots of that time with Anders and it was heavenly, there was also a moment, you know, when when Anders was diagnosed and suddenly I knew we were going to be in the hospital, just this really intense treatment schedule. And I knew that at that moment, everything in my house, the way it was, was going to stay that way until basically nine months from that moment. Mm. And I was so stressed about that, meaning like, you know, my house is a wreck, you know, it's messy and, you know, I haven't, I've been spending lots of time doing fun things, you know, instead of like, you know, taking care of things at home. And so I actually also put out a request, like, 
can you, you know, who, who can come and help me clean my house? And there was a weekend when there were like eight women that showed up and it took like two hours and they got through the whole house and all the windows were cleaned. And like, I mean, it was absolutely incredible, but that was this big thing. I sat for like an hour, you know, typing this message on Facebook, deleting it, typing it, like, like, do I do, I do, I do, I do, I not. I knew I needed the help and I did it. And, and then it was amazing because I could start on a clean slate with like having the space that supported my family. Of course, then COVID hit and we had to stay home and like, you know, live our lives in, (laughs) in this, you know, clean house, thankfully, at least at the start of it. (laughs) Good timing. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, but that whole process of learning to accept help when it's available to you um, is really so, it's hard, but it's important if you're going through something so difficult. There were moments when people were doing things for us where I just sat and cried because I could feel how supported we were with the food that was being dropped off, the little errands that were being run, the little, the things that people were handling for us. And I just felt so much love and coming towards us. And that was a moment when I just understood, you know, what you put out circles back to you. Like I could see that process and I, um, uh, it was just so beautiful to me recognizing that over time I had in my life allowed myself to have a circle of support and, and to, to, you know, have relationships with people that there was reciprocity and I could give to them and they could give to me. And that's what creates a network of support like that. Ultimately, I guess. <laughs> well, right. And it's, it's a way that people can, you know, I think sometimes you see somebody struggling and you don't know how to help. And, you know, I know as a, as a person who has a disability, sometimes people offer to help in ways that are not helpful. And then they yes. don't, they don't understand why they're not helping. They're trying to be, they're like, you're not a very nice person. You're not taking my help. I know I want to take your help, but uh, you know, but I, but it's not helpful. And then you feel like a jerk for saying no. And so having you reach out and say, these are the things then yes. people can feel secure that they're doing the right thing. And it's this very clear thing that they get to to be a part of in supporting and it's it's exactly what's needed and everybody knows their role right and you know yes and I think that you know allowing yourself to be really specific with what you need you know is it's so hard but it's okay you know that's what you need and it is okay that you need that (laughs) you know You know, so it's okay that I need my house to be clean. It's okay that I really need meals. I had a friend that would call me from Target. I'm at Target. What do you need? I had, you know, random things. I need a shirt that buttons down the front so Anders can access his port. Um, you know, I, you know, and and to be able to be okay with just saying what it is that you need, because it's okay to have your needs met and it's okay that you're specific about it. But then you also have to be willing, you know, if there's that moment when somebody comes along and says, well, I, you know, I'm not going to cook you something that doesn't have dairy in it. And, you know, like whatever, like the the complaint department shows up, you also have to be able to like, 
you know, let it go and just be like, okay, you know, that just doesn't work and it's okay. You know, you know, somebody else will come along and fill that spot. (laughs) Right. 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 Well, yeah. Like with food issues, you know, things like that. It's like, well, yeah, when it, when it doesn't work, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it's, it's kind of like, well, thank you for the shoes, but I wear a size nine and that's a size four. And I really appreciate that you got me the shoes, but they really just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think your point too, though, the, the, the ability to ask is such a huge, it's such a huge thing to, to get, to get over. And I was thinking while you were telling the story of people cleaning your house, I'm like, you know, that could have been a really fun experience for those people, right? Like what a kind of fun bonding time. And it's always more yeah. fun to help somebody else clean their house than it is to clean your own. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and you, um, it was awesome because, you know, I was working in the kitchen area with somebody and I could hear people in the living room and I could hear people upstairs, like, you know, like connecting with each other. And they weren't necessarily people, you know, women that knew each other. It was really, really kind of fun, but, but, you know, and like also how uncomfortable because some of the people that came um, were not people that were routinely in my house or had ever been in my house before. Mm-hmm. And it was like, but they were showing up and they didn't care if they were looking at my dirty laundry and like couldn't see out my kitchen window, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I just had to be okay with it all. And it turned out beautifully. Um <laughs> It's real, it's real life, man, you know, what can happen in two hours and then boom, done. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was something else. (laughs) So talk a little bit about, you know, I'm just thinking of kind of the experience that you created for Anders you know, and the rest of your family. And I mean, obviously all of this help created like so much less stress, I assume for everybody else to just not have to, you know, everybody else could kind of do what they needed to do for their self-care and their experience of each other and and not having to stress about some of the life details of what are we going to eat and how is this going to work and all of that. Um, But the experience of just being able to be in the space that you were with him. And again, what I, what I was seeing from the pictures you were sharing and the things you were sharing was just, you know, it looked like Anders was just so, I guess at peace or I don't know what other word to describe, but I I just kept looking at pictures going, yep, he is handling that way better than I would be. (laughs) (laughs) There is no doubt that Anders has a pretty amazing wise old soulness about him um, in the way that he goes through life and his experience. My role, I saw my role with him, which is something that I was really careful about thinking about intentional about when we started to go through this, like, what was my role in supporting him? Because I'm no longer mother to, you know, sick infant. I'm mother to uh a preteen um, who's going through this big medical experience. So what does that mean and how do I handle that? And one of the big things that I saw um, 
was that my my role was really to create an environment around him at all times, whether we're in a hospital room or whether we're at home or we're in a clinic or wherever we were, that, that it was my job to create an environment that was healing for him. Um, and, and that's one, one thing that, you know, we can talk more about. But the second second thing was I really had to wrestle with the fact this type of cancer that he had doesn't have nearly the 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 good success rate or outcomes as the the cancer we dealt with when he was a child. And so I had to wrestle with all of the what ifs. And I did early on, you know, what if this doesn't work? What if he's not with me in three months or four months or whatever? Again, you know, even on top of that, that that I've experienced through his whole life, like here it really is now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really decided uh, that that was something that I was going to really just have to intentionally let go of. I mean, not that you could fully get it out of your mind and fully let go of, you know, those concerns and those worries, but it was, I realized it was going to get in the way of me being present for him Mm -hmm. and that my role of being present for him is what was most supported for him. So the environment, the healing environment, we have this conversation early on. People often talk about cancer as a battle. You know, you're in this fight and you're fighting cancer and you're, you know, and that didn't really feel good to me because it felt more like we wanted to actually be healing from cancer, not battling it. So I had a conversation with Anders early on asking him what he thought about that. And, you know, I kind of just shared, you know, my opinion that, you know, I felt like kind of the the energy around a battle was less, less appealing than the energy around healing. Um, and he agreed with me. So that was the, you know, kind of the approach we decided on. So that meant that chemotherapy was not a toxic agent that was, you know, trying to basically almost kill him in order to save him from the cancer, which is, you know, the way... <laughs> Oh, which is ultimately what chemotherapy is, but that's also the way people describe it. Um, instead, that was the that was the medicine that was going to help, uh, you know, his body heal and transform this cancer. Um, and so, all of those things, the way we looked at everything, was really a, about a healing space. I, you know, saw my role too as you know thinking about all the ways that somebody is in a healing space, whether it's the sounds that are going on in the room, the music, um, the silence, you know, uh, I thought about that as we're, you know, in the hospital room. So there'd be some times that we're putting on, you know, just ridiculous happy music when we needed it. And uh, we had the smells going on. Oh my gosh. The, the uh, nurses would come into our room and be like, Oh my gosh, it smells so good in here because we had like these fabulous essential oil sprays and stuff that we would we have this great spray called lighten up. That's made by this wonderful, uh, wonderful woman in, a, in her shop in Wayzata and like spray that. And it's like, Oh, it feels magical in the room, you know? So all of these things we were doing like that, we had this great, uh, my friend gave me this fabulous rainbow maker that was this prism that you put on the window. And when the sun hits it, rainbows go all over the room, you know? And so really everything I could do to make what he saw and heard and smiled and touched 
be supportive and healing, we did that. Um, One really fun thing that came about when we were working on the kind of like the site aspects, you know, a hospital room, you're in the same room for five days, you can't leave the room because it's COVID (laughs) and they're not letting this immune compromised child out of his room. So we're in this hospital room for five days in a row, you know, and um, like multiple times. I mean, just not one time. I think it's like 10 times these five days days. And um, so we started making these paper, bright paper decorations and hanging them up in his room. And they were, you know, things like birds or fish or whatever. And so it was this fun craft that we'd make together, but then we'd hang them up and they'd move around like or rainbows or something. And it, it would just make the room so cheery we came to realize over time that they didn't take them down when we left. And so other kids were experiencing these decorations. And, and as we moved around the hospital, you know, in different rooms, then we'd come back in and like, Oh, there's our decorations. And it made us so happy. (laughs) Knowing. Yeah. Knowing that we were spreading that joy to other kids. Right. Yeah. They were like, okay, don't put them in the same room. We need this one over here decorated. (laughs) They were seriously like that. Like, what are you going to, the nurses were like, what are you going to make this time? Like everybody loves these. And, you know, so we actually were making decorations and then hanging them up in other rooms at, 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 at points. It was so fun. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Thinking about that whole, yeah. Creating your space. You know, we think about that kind of in our homes and, 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 and things like that, but not taking it maybe as intentionally and seriously is what all of the things around you, when you have those choices to bring you joy, you know, to be the things that you love that spark, you know, back to Maria Kondo's, does it spark joy, you know, but does it, is it soul feeding for you? And does it, you know, I I love the rainbow thing. I love light and and sparkly (laughs) things and things like that. And it's like, yeah, how awesome to have that, those things around you that, they just bring you up instead of slightly even drag you down. Like, I think you're right. We do respond to these things so much in ways we probably don't even recognize. And though what you're saying seems sort of logical, but I think we don't think about that so much specifically. No. Yes, exactly. And, and, um, you know, I, I learned when Anders was little that when I feel as best I as I can when I'm in the hospital with him or in appointments or whatever from wearing comfortable clothing that I feel really good in from bringing my favorite soap when I finally get a shower or a fuzzy blanket or every time I went to the hospital I had my yoga mat so that on his floor you know I could do a few yoga poses when the when the moment arrived for me to take that five minutes for myself, and that felt so good. So those things that we can do to support ourselves when we're in these difficult situations, you know th- I thought at first, how am I going to be in a hospital room all summer? I want to be on my sailboat, you know, sailing across Lake Superior with the wind and the water, you know, and no, I'm going to be in this 10 by 10 room. How do I do that? And so it became really about how to create all of those in all of those ways that could really be supportive um, for me. So I could feel the best that I could for helping Anders. And then of course, considering everything that he liked and that could, could support him as well. And, and so a hospital room doesn't become a terrible, uh, you know, place of, of confinement. I mean, it still is difficult, but you're trying, you're making it the best that you can. And that was what that was about. Yeah. 
to have those little comforts. I, I have, as of the last few years, a friend gave me a blanket for Christmas that has become my blanket. And it's, it's funny how much it makes a difference to have that. And, you know, in some ways I feel silly about it. In other ways it's like, but it's, it does so much and it's so little. Yes. You know, you know, for me, what became my favorite thing besides the yoga mat to have with me all the time in the hospital was I bought these because your shoes are always going on and on and off. You're sitting on a bed, you're, you know, whatever. I didn't want to tie my shoes anymore. Like, so I brought these sandals um, that I could slip on and there were these bright, happy colors. And so every time I slipped them on and looked at my feet, I was like, oh, I love these happy colors on these sandals. I mean, it seems almost ridiculous, but it was a very tiny moment of joy in a very difficult situation that made me feel good. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Never underestimate those little things. Getting excited about little things is is a, you know, I mean, I get teased for that sometimes, but it's like, you know what, but that can shift my day. So. Exactly. exactly. That's exactly what it's about is shift your day. And if you can add these tiny little things and a few of them add up to get a little bit more than just an incremental shift, then that's exactly what we're talking about here is like, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, a couple of questions come to mind. And the first one, I want to go back to you talking about getting to the point where you're not kind of really focusing on, on maybe losing your son, like, you know, that you had said, you know, that you had to let that go. Can you talk about, or think of maybe like a a phrase or, or a way to think about that, that can express how you did that? Cause I can imagine some people listening to that going, yep, nope, I couldn't even be there. But as you express the importance of you being able to put that out forward to say, we're not, we're not there yet. We're not dealing with that. I need to be right here. How much that is a help to to you and to him. How can you maybe, is there a way you can express that or help people maybe if they're in a similar situation to wrap their head around that? Yes. uh, This is something, um, you know, since you and I initially talked about, you know, doing this, uh, this interview and this podcast together that I've been thinking about, you know, how do I explain that to someone? Um, I have had the experience of, you know, this is my really my third time um, dealing with a very challenging medical situation with my child, the second time with a life life threatening and of course, as we discussed this issue that my son, you know, has this mutation through his whole life. So, so this is something that is, you know, I have really wrestled with for many years. Um, but ultimately, if I'm describing it in a simple way, I am in the role of a mother and caregiver. That's my job to be present for Anders as a mother and a caregiver and to help him navigate the situation as best as possible. If that's the role that I'm putting myself in, then uh, then this whole experience is about him. I mean, yes, there are aspects of that are about me, obviously, you know, I'm involved in it, but this is an experience that's about him. This 
topic of me worrying about, is he going to be alive? Is he going to be present? Uh, You know, the what, all of the what ifs that, of course, as a parent, as someone who loves someone going through something so difficult, come, they do. But I saw that as my issue and something that if I was going to show up for him in the way I wanted to, I had to put that aside And in my current, uh, you know, state, I'm actually able to let go of that and just realize this is what, you know, I can't know the outcome and I'm moving forward. Okay. But if if a person's not even in that, it's really about the fact that I can't move through helping him as a caregiver and and a mother supporting him in the way that I want to, if I'm just constantly wrestling and distracted with the what ifs. It's about setting that aside, setting your issues aside for the moment, for the time being, so that you can be present and show up. And I, I think that's the simplest way that I can describe it. I'm not going to pretend it's easy at all because <laughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, you know, uh, we all have in so many aspects of our life, um, there are situations where your personal uh, difficulties or tortures or things that you're really working through kind of cloud how you're able to show up or react to somebody else, you know, and sometimes we're good at putting them aside and sometimes we're not, you know, even if it's going to the bank and, and dealing with a difficult teller or something like that, you know, there's all those kind of situations and you don't always do a good job of, of being patient and kind, no matter what happens. Right. <laughs> That's the case. You know, this is like extreme test of that. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's kind of that thinking about the priorities of if things were to not go as as well as they had. You want the best times that you both, that you you can have in your mind for the both of you to remember going forward. Yes, I wanted to be able to be there with him. You know, if I was all stuck in the circles, you know, the endless mind circles of worry, which, you know, we get into about things, you know, in many aspects of our life, you know, that would not allow me to spend these moments with him. And ultimately, if these were my last moments with him, then, you know, I don't want to be worrying about, are they my last moments with him? I want to be spending the last moments with him, you know, (laughs) laughing, doing crossword puzzles, you know, listening to goofy music, like whatever it is that we're, you know, going, spending time outside when he was home, you know, um, just that's what I wanted more. So. Yeah. Well, and oh, you talked about when we talked on, about this earlier, you mentioned outside and again, that environment that you're creating for him. And you talked about doing, you know, kind of figuring out how to make things possible. So you guys took a, a camping trip, right? Yes. Yes, we did. So, so, um, one of the things about me is that I'm not really one to let let things stand in my way, no matter really kind of what the impediment is, I guess. So it's like always, uh, you know, how do I make something possible? And one of the things that Anders loves is spending out time outside. And, 
you know, that's always actually been one of the the aspects of that my children are required to do in their little lives is is spend time outside uh, because it's healing and it's just a part of what's good for us, you know. So um, there came a time when, uh, you know, it, so Anders was on chemotherapy all summer. It's also a pandemic. You know, he has no immune system. We can't be around anyone. Thank goodness my my parents are in our little pod. So, uh, you know, they've got another house to go to and we have a little bit of a, <laughs> support, you know, a support system. There are other people to talk to. And I decided let's go to the Boundary Waters because Anders had asked me last summer when we went on a day trip, uh, he and I went paddling one day. It was a gorgeous fall day in fall. We had such a great time and we're walking out and he says, mom, will you take me camping next year? And I said, yes. So I was going to follow through on that commitment. He had had his surgery. He was walking with a cane rather precariously. We asked my dad to come along so that we could have two canoes uh, with, you know, strong paddlers. Like my, we didn't have to rely on Anders paddling. Um, we chose a place to go that would be easy for him to get in the canoe. And then we'd just paddle to a campsite. You know, I, I just, all of the things that were in the way or possibly in the way, I just didn't let them be in the way. And we did it. And it was so much fun. And he had such a great time. What a nice, like, kind of break from the healing, just the mundaneness of healing to yeah. go to something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, this child is like, you know, he has this like 50 stitch incision in his leg because ultimately he has this big prosthesis and a total knee replacement. <laughs> like, you know, he's walking with this cane. Like, I mean, nothing's going to stop him. He has no hair. So we're like, you know, they have this big sun hat on him and totally cover him up so he doesn't get sunburned. And I mean, oh goodness, it was, but it was so good. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that takes a little bravery as a as a parent to say, okay, we're doing this, you know, <laughs> we're, we'll deal oh, right. with whatever happens. There are all those, all those things, you know, he has the, the pork, there's all, what if he gets a fever, you know, so my first aid kit was giant, you know, um, I made sure that we had, you know, we were actually able to communicate to the outside world if we needed, you know, emergency support for him. You know, we had all the medic medications, like, you know, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of extra stuff that came along, um, but it, but it happened and it was so good. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Takes a lot of extra thought, a lot of extra, okay, how do we, how do we plan for things to go not quite right? <laughs> In case something does happen. Yes. Yes. But they all went right in this case. So fantastic. I love it. That's so good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, what a boost. What a boost for him to be able to do that kind of that thing that you might think, oh, let's just not take the chance. Right. Exactly. And, you know, there was one other time I really wanted to get the kids, all of us as a family out on my sailboat. I have a, a, a little sailboat. And, you know, it, it, Anders just wasn't ready to do that. And But finally, you know, late summer, it came a perfect day, you know, where the water was warm enough that we could take the sailboat off and jump off and, and, and the kids could swim. And he had just been okayed for swimming. 
you know, and we did that and it was absolutely heavenly. And he had the biggest smile that you've ever seen on his face. You know, just when I was just trying to find those things that when, you know, you're going through something so difficult, you still have to live, you know, you've got to find a way to live. And that's, a, that's all going back to this Vipassana meditation I was talking about in the beginning. It's like, you know, there is good, bad and ugly all mixed in through life. And it's never always good. It's never always bad. So how do you roll through it? And even when you're in the lowest of low, there's still moments that can be good that you're living. And that was really sort of the whole theme. You know, we are living through this. We are not just getting through it. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and, you know, and I think ultimately that that was what, what helped Anders, you know, have a big smile on his face, um, you know, and really managed to be such a well-adjusted child through such a difficult experience. Um, Yeah. Well, when you've got that support around, you know, that support that you can trust, that it's consistent and, you know, that's a big that's a big deal. Talk about that a little bit, just in that whole, like we, we kind of talk about, I know you and I had this conversation on the phone a little bit about, you know, having your family around you or having the people around you who are really supportive. And you said, you know, that you think that that would be one thing that he would say was a help, but in kind of that really true, deep meaning of, of what that consistent support can really look like. Yes. You know, when I've asked Anders and I've asked him a number of times, like how he has managed to, uh, you know, kind of get through this in such a, in the way that he has, which is really so positive. He has talked about that support and ultimately it is as far as I discern from these discussions with him and what I imagine is that when a person is so supported that they that they know that no matter what somebody is there with them in a caring way in a real present way Anders was able to know that he was never going to be alone through this he knew that we trusted the doctors and the people at the hospital and what and what the treatment was going to be and that we had done all of our work to make sure that we you know, we're comfortable with that, then he could really, I'm not, relax is a terrible word in this situation, but ultimately he could at least somewhat relax into that support so that his job was really to do the healing, um, you know, and to let it work. Um, you know, in, in, like you said, this isn't just a cursory level of, of, oh, you know, my, you know, because you hear people say that, oh, with my friends and family, without them, I couldn't have done this. And that is true for many, many things. But what we're talking about is a base level of security that makes you feel so secure in uh, yourself and your, and your love and um, in your being in the world that helps you move through it. That's what I see. Mm-hmm. When I think about like, going through just the amount of medical stuff you guys went through and that he went through. And I'm not like super comfortable with those things. Like those experiences to me are super scary. And when I think about 
where I succeed and where I don't succeed. It does come down to the trust that I have. Are the people that that are caring for me, do they actually hear me? Do they listen to me? Or am I just a body that they have to take care of, right? Like I, I was thinking about what would make me as a kid comfortable or even as an adult. I think we we sometimes, like you, it's so cool that you got to be there with him and that consistent support. And that's so important. And as adults, sometimes we don't always have that, right? I mean, sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. Now with COVID, it's really hard to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of a time that I went into the emergency room because my leg seized up and it was an emergency room. I had never been there before. I knew nothing about it. We got to the hospital and the guy from the emergency room um, had been told what I was coming in for and that my leg was sore. And he opened the door and the first words he said to me are, this is going to hurt as he went to try to pull me out. And that just sent me in a you don't even know what's wrong with me. You're not asking me how to do this and how to help me get out of the car. You know, like nothing was about me in this situation. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was bleeding, you know what I mean? And and I I was in the emergency room with uh, with Joel at the time. And I was like, I couldn't keep the nurses and doctors away from me enough, even though I needed their help. It was just, I was really scared of them. And I it, it was a muscular thing. I mean, they wanted to do everything to me that didn't matter. Right. And I knew that I wasn't being treated very well because they, they saw the health insurance I had at the time and it wasn't very good health insurance like that. You know, that was an issue. And I felt that. And Joel said to me, you know, he said, if this would have been your rolfer, because I was doing a lot of rolfing and this was in the Twin Cities at the time, if this would have been the person that I was using, he's like, you would have been OK with it. And I'm like, yeah, because he isn't going to hurt me <laughs> without without sort of telling me what's going on. And I trust that what he's doing to me is the best thing. And it's, you know, he has my best interest in mind. He actually cares about me. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that from a single person here. And it's such a different experience. And, you know, it's why I think it's so sad that we don't have consistent caregivers in, you know, doctors through our lives and things like that. It's just harder with the way our medical system is. And I think that's what you know, it's great for the system because they can look at everybody like a number and move along and not invest as the patients. Of course, we want them to invest. And I think our health care, our health would all we would all benefit just in like what you're saying, saying we would have more of that healing experience just going to the doctor instead of just having to be on guard a lot, which I think a lot of us are. Yeah. Um And so what, you know, what was that experience for you? And did you, you know, did you have to advocate or was it kind of just you were setting expectations as you went along? When Anders was a baby, prior to that experience, I was one of these people that would like seriously almost pass out when I was in a hospital because I can't stand the sight of blood. Like just this, the whole environment of being in a hospital was like, not good for me. And so that was a huge thing for me to work on, you know, overcoming just being in that environment and being able to like hold myself present for my son. Of course, at, in my situation, like I had a real reason that I needed to like get out of myself and and like figure out how to deal with this because I had to be the mom to this child who was doing this, you know, so it's kind of like a forced a forced learning curve there. Um, But very 
certainly uh, going through his Anna's treatment experience as, as a baby, because his cancer was so rare, there's only like 260 kids a year that, that in the U S that get it. I had to do so much research and learning uh, about everything about that. And we were faced, you know, I I mentioned when we went to um, St. Jude, we were suddenly in this situation, you know, after there was a tumor that kept coming back in Anders' eye. And I had doctors in St. Jude, within the St. Jude system, there were three different doctors I was working with, and there were two different opinions, whether we should remove his eye or doing the radiation. And then I had our doctors in Minnesota saying, we, you know, go for, you need to try this thing in New York. Like, so suddenly I'm in a situation where I don't know, you know, these are all doctors, they're all experts, they're all caring for my son. And they've all been people that I have trusted, except for this one doctor that was just kind of called in this radiation doctor. And so (laughs) I had to navigate that, you know, with Mike, of course, but I was the one present with all of these folks and like realized that, okay, gosh, they're all experts. They all have different opinions. What's my opinion? (laughs) What role do I have in this choice that I'm making for my son? You know, Um, how do I feel comfortable about that? Uh, How do I get myself to the comfort level of making such a difficult choice? It was, there were so many questions, you know, we're talking about removing body parts or, you know, like causing more higher risk of death, you know, I mean, talk about a learning curve for advocacy. (laughs) But ultimately, I learned through that process, like you, you, you have to be an advocate so strongly for yourself. And you have to you have to realize that not everybody, like you're describing in the situation that you were put into in this emergency room, not everybody's going to be as present and connected to you uh, and your concerns. Um, now, you were in an emergent situation where you were in pain and it was, you know, pr- probably difficult for you to even communicate what you needed even, you know, so, and then that happens. But in a situation where, there, you know, you're not in that emergent situation, it's a little bit easier to kind of maybe read the room and and realize like, oh, gosh, this isn't this person isn't working for me or I need to like step out of here and say, no, I, you know, I totally don't agree with you. I mean, there's just so many aspects to that advocacy question. And a lot of them are really about being, uh, you know, comfortable with this is my need. I am the person getting the care here. You know, your job is to listen to me and provide this care. You know, I mean, it's so different than, you know, when you're not, when you haven't been in those challenging situations with that, it's, it's really hard. You want to go in and trust that everyone's got your, got your, you know, your health and your well-being and everything, you know, that they're holding that for you. And it's almost like you actually have to hold it for yourself and allow you to come into that, you know, (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's It's just challenging. Right. And to, like you say, kind of be able to take that ability to stand up and say, wait, I'm the one that has to live with the results, whether it's, it's, 
it's what you're getting for you or what you're getting for your son. You know, he ultimately has to live with them and you are part of the care. And that's a lot of things to take into consideration. Uh, Yeah. And they are all experts and typically have the, my way, my way is best, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and they all are doing the best they can with the information that they have. And it's always, I mean, coming, like you say, when you've got all these experts and they have different opinions, it's like, whoa, (laughs) what do I do now with this? Yeah. And I think you're right that the question, when you ask yourself, how do I live with this? You know, how can I live with this? How am I going to be living with this when I make this decision? Am I comfortable with that? It, it really, that's the question to ask. And if you find yourself in a situation like that, in a, in a medical situation, uh, you are the one seeking care for yourself because you want to get better. You want to get healthy. You want to get fixed, whatever that is going on for you. And hold that for yourself. Don't give it up to somebody else just because they have, you know, MD or DO or whatever on their white white jacket, you know. I mean, they're there obviously to help you. But this, uh, it's, a, it's, you know, you're seeking health and wellness and help for yourself. It's not always easy to hold that because especially like as, you know, we live in northern Minnesota or like, you know, there's always this Minnesota nice thing. You don't want to offend anybody like, oh, she wants to like give me a shot X, Y and Z, but I really don't think I need it. But I'll just say, okay, well, yeah, if you think it's best, I'll get it anyway. Like, you know, we do that kind of stuff all the time to ourselves and you know, seeking, seeking help for yourself in the medical, you know, it's hard, but you, you know, this is me, this is what I need. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And finding the, finding the strength to, to really say that, you know, and sometimes it's easier to just say, well, if that's what you think is best, right. It it makes it easy. It puts it on somebody else. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And that, you know, now, now I am talking from the perspective, obviously, of being a caregiver and being with a, with a son, you know, my son, I have been like so blessed to have not had, I've had very few medical situations in my life, you know, so that it's not always the case. You don't always have someone there with you. You don't always have, you're not always feeling well enough to do a great job for you. That, that definite (laughs) for yourself, that definitely happens. I mean, I'm not saying it, it, you know, it, it doesn't cause it just, it does. (laughs) The human condition. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So what else haven't we talked about that um, that you want to make sure that people are maybe thinking about or just something that you know things that you want to put out there in the world you know um there's maybe there's maybe two things that I'm thinking about you know one is I I I described you know the importance of setting this, uh, you know, kind of healing environment for Anders. Um, and then also, you know, me also having my favorite things, etc. But from the role of a caregiver, I also recognized, you know, that when I had my off moments, like when we were home and Anders was with, you know, you know, Mike is here and other people and Aurora and they're, you know, all together and Anders is being taken care of. I would go off and, you know, do two hour walks on the beach and through the woods as slowly as possible to try to ground myself and calm myself down and, you know, just try to find, even if it was 
a brief hour here or there, ways that I could recharge myself. Um, because this is a really long haul. Um, and, you know, when you're a caregiver, it, it, the caregiver role is really tough. Um, you know, the focus of, of everything is the healing and particularly of a child with cancer. It's like everybody is focused on getting that child better. Meanwhile, the people who are really caring for that child, they need care themselves, you know? So that's what we talked about, the help and all of that. But, um, you know, with the meals and, and, and things, which are so important to free up time and free up energy, but really a caregiver really needs to care for themselves or get care. And that's just, it's hard to realize. You want to just keep going and going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny, but you can't unless you take those moments to recharge. Mm-hmm. So that was just something else that, you know, I spent a fair amount of time trying to uh, make sure that I had those moments, even if they were few and far between. The last thing that I'll just mention that, you know, was a big help for me and something that was introduced to when Anders was a baby was that was Spring Forest Chagong. And learning to, I went through the uh, a couple of the levels um, to learn to do ch- Spring Force Chagong on, on others and healing on others. So that was part of my routine with Anders in the hospital every night when I tucked him into bed was to do Chagong healing, energy healing on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also did some special meditations that I brought him into, uh, you know, to help like with his bone marrow healing um, that were spring force Chagong meditation. So that's something that really helped us through this too. I didn't mention that earlier. Yeah. You know, and I know you and I had chatted about, you know, the toughness that sometimes medical people have, especially with adults. And, and I know we talked about that, that with kids, sometimes there is more, of the the care focus on making things not hurt, making the child comfortable. Because I know people have different theories on this of like both with kids and adults, you know, there's the, if you tell them what's coming, that 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 can be seen as a good thing. And other people are like, don't tell them what's coming, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and they can just toughen up, be tough. And if it'll be over in a minute uh, or whatever the case might be. And, you know, that's one of those things that I, I I can take a lot of pain in certain ways and in other ways I'm not so great at it. And it depends, I think, on the kind of pain it is. And uh, (laughs) I I learned that in India, when I lived in India, I had a couple shots and I had my blood drawn and I would go there any day of the week to have shots or my blood drawn if it was easy because (laughs) it was the most comfortable experience consistently that I ever had. And I'm like, where are the Americans being trained? Because if they can do this, (laughs) this is possible and this is no big deal like I if that would have been my experience having blood drawn and shots as a child I would have such a different experience about it today yeah mm-hmm. and and why not I mean I I don't know it just seems like there is kind of those different theories of of how we should get through medical stuff and to me I'm like you know hey why can't we just give people the best thing that we can to make them the most comfortable listen to what they need and kind of honor that instead of sort of that tough attitude. I don't think the tough attitude really helps. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, uh, my approach with Anders and, and my children just in general is, you know, that 
has always been one of open uh, communication and honesty. So, you know, when you transfer that over into these medical situations, you know, beginning when Anders was very young, as soon as he could understand what we were doing, I would spend time, uh, whether it was in the drive to the appointment or the night before or you know, whatever preparatory period we had, I would spend time saying, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to this place. We're going to go see this person. They're going to do this. And then this is going to happen next, you know, and we would talk about whether there was going to be a poke, whether there would be a bandaid, whether they would put eye drops in first, whether he would get the stinky mask on his face, whether they would have the, the smelly, a uh, lip balm that he could choose the flavor for to put on the mask first, like all of the steps. And then he could process that and he knew what was coming. Now that worked for him because that's the way he, his brain works and he was able to really stay calm. You know, I'm not saying that's going to be the best approach necessarily for, for every child, but that's my, my way. Like I would, wasn't going to hide anything from him. He was going to have to go through all of this for a very long time in his life. I wanted him to be as comfortable as he could knowing so that he could trust me that I'm not bringing him into a situation to go get this torture done to him. You know, that I knew what was going to happen, that I thought it was okay, and I was holding his hand through it. Um, so that has been my approach. And in uh, with Anders, you know, ultimately now he does everything. Like he doesn't need mom sitting with him when he's going in for MRI or for a blood draw or whatever. He's comfortable, and he does all of that himself. You know, there are times when, you know, things are more difficult procedures and stuff that, that of course, I'll be present for him or if he has nerves about something, but he's very comfortable with it all. I I have, you know, also seen this experience that with kids and the pediatric care is very different in many situations. You know, the there's you have a child life specialist often now who is meant to kind of help you through like this is what's going to happen. They're an extra person to be there supporting you. They'll distract if necessary, you know, all different things they do. But even just the approach of the nurses and the doctors of describing with kids and working with kids in a different way than they do with adults. And it's all, and it's actually kind of funny because in my experience, like kids are so much more resilient, you know, and maybe it's because of the the types of kids I've been around, like with these serious medical issues, like, you know, cancer. And, but sometimes you almost think, gosh, it's really the adults that need to have the, you know, the Scooby-Doo Band-Aid and, um, <laughs> Yes, I will second that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, come on, like, I want to hold the stuffed animal and, you know. Yes, I had a dentist who gave me a thing to hold and that was very helpful. And yeah, I, yeah. I mean, he did that for adults because he was like, why, why not? Like adults are sometimes, like you said, sometimes adults are more stressed about this than the kids are. Why yeah. not? If it's helping the kids, if it works for you, rock yeah. on, you know? It, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is having somebody there to hold your hand. I had a medical procedure done a few years ago and I had a person who her job was pretty much to just be there. And 
get me through it. And I knew I wasn't going to be the most graceful (laughs) person. But having that and having her attention and being able to ask her questions and her telling me this is normal and whatever, but she wasn't the person doing the thing, but they were communicating. You know, I felt like I was like respected yeah. in that I, that my having a hard time with it was okay. And that I wasn't a, you know, it wasn't just, Oh, get over it. It was like, okay, that's what you need. That's what we'll do. And those are huge. I am, I am still grateful for that. Every, like every time I think about it, I think that's what yeah. made me, made me get through it and not like walk away with like a, a horror filled <laughs> memory. You know, I walk away feeling positive. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much difference knowing there's somebody there with your interests in mind and, and, and they're holding your hand, they're holding, you know, helping you through it. It does. <laughs> Do you have resources, like I'm thinking of the meditation that you would want to share, or maybe even, do you have the spelling for the meditation? The pasana, I think, is V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A, the pasana. And then Spring Forest Chagong, uh, you know, they have a, a, web, a website um, and lots of great resources on it. And there's actually, there's lots of people locally that practice and we have two Spring Force Chagong masters who are wonderful people here in Duluth too. So, yeah, and now even on the web, there are people who are doing things that you can hook yes. into right in, you know, right through Zoom or Facebook Live or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. It has been really fun to talk to you, and I just think. You know, I think of people whether they're going through stuff like themselves or with their kids. I mean, you have had this path where I'm sure was a shock when he was a child, right? And and it doesn't make it any less intense in as he's older, but you're you're experiencing it from an experienced place this last time. And to be able to share that and to be able to bring yourself differently to that experience, both for yourself and for your family, I think is a pretty it's a pretty awesome it does a lot to carry, right? Like you don't know what the future holds. So it's so great that you're able that not only that you're able to do that, but that you are willing to say, this is what I'm going to do to, you know, I'm going to take the time to do this and figure out how to do it, be the best mom and with a family and everything. That's a lot to navigate. Yeah. 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 I, um, I really appreciate you recognizing that in, in my life and giving me the opportunity to talk about it, you know, cause I do, as I mentioned to you, um, if there's any tidbit of, you know, experience or possibly wisdom that I've gained through, um, you know, all of this experience that can help somebody else. I'm just so would love that to be the case, you know, to put it out there. If Yeah. Well, it's these stories, right? And again, if somebody is going through this alone, because they just don't have anybody around them to hear another voice and kind of giving them permissions to take some time for themselves or to really refocus, you know, sometimes you feel like that's what you should be doing, but somehow you you don't quite know if you have the permission or if it's the right thing to do. You don't know if it's the best path where you kind of lay out this, this picture that might give somebody a, the real vision of why 
that's a good thing that that their that their intuition is right and they you yes, know maybe yes, they yes. need to go for and it that, and here's yeah else. right exactly that their intuition is right and it is okay to follow that to make yourself feel good you know like to to find the things that make you make you happy and comfortable and and you know full of joy and loved and content and whatever you know it's it, that's what this is all about right. yeah. <laughs> you know in life you know and it's so important to give yourself that latitude to be able to follow those, those things so that you can really live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in times of crisis. And again, I think trying to figure out how to do that just in life to live a life in a healing way is a challenge for many of us, right? (laughs) It is not easy. No one's saying it's easy. It's just worthwhile. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's a great distinction. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. And yes, I hope this reaches so many people far and wide who <laughs> need a voice to to speak to them that they can grab some some wisdom from. Yeah, me too, Judy. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you. All right. Yay, we did it. <laughs> awesome. Woo! Well, if you have, if you happen upon any resources, great. Um, If you have a picture or two that you would be willing to share that I could put on with the web, um, with the podcast when I put it out, that would be awesome. What are you thinking picture wise? You could, it could be a picture of you and Anders if you want it to be. Um, You know, I'm open to what that might look like. And you can also get creative too if you want like I I'm not picky so if you feel like there's something that really represents what you want to you know in a way that you feel really good about I'm I'm down with that okay okay yeah great so so yep I'll I'll send you those um and what's your timeline for getting this together and um ideally I would love to put it out next Tuesday Oh gosh. Okay. So, yeah, Great. yeah. So I'll get I'll get on the photos for you tomorrow and um and send something your way. Um, you know the vipassana meditation. I I did it long ago. While I went to the re- retreat with Sarah Seidelman, and she ended up writing a, an article about or a a thing about her experience, which was really hilarious. Oh, awesome. If you haven't seen it, I mean, like, uh, I should send you the link to that because it's just incredible, incredibly funny, the three-day silent retreat and her experience. I think I remember reading some, because I I feel like I remember something about the challenges that came with that, but I don't remember the details. They're hilarious. Like, she was, like, trying to buy, wanted to buy the property that the, like, her the real estate thing. I mean, it was just, it's a hilarious thing. And then it was... um, a retreat led by Arjun uh, Lighthawk at Inner Bliss. I don't know if you know him, but um, and yeah. in Inner Bliss, I know some about, but yeah, it's from, yeah. So and and Arjun is is um, you know, he's this big man. He's bald. Um, you know, he's and he's got this voice and like so. She she talked about just I mean funny things like his voice driving her nuts and like um thinking he was like Dr. Evil on uh oh, 
Oh, I mean, God, it's just hilarious. We died laughing. She shared it with Arjun and stuff afterwards. But oh, I mean, so funny. But anyway, I looked at I looked up some links and stuff for her on that. And unfortunately, um, well, you know, these this, there's Vipassana retreats all retreats all over the place. But I don't know if they're <laughs> uh, right. That's the challenge right now, right? Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. But wow. That sounds funny. Yeah, Inner Bliss is the one down on like on Superior Streets and um like 14th Avenue East. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I need to experience that place when when it's not COVID time. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I Arjun really has been um I mean, I haven't been there for a year now since COVID, but um you know, I was going there and meditating every morning. He, he's been a great teacher for me. Um, he does yoga, but he's also a meditation teacher and he's really like one of, I would like a spiritual teacher for me, I would say like, um, he's great. Yeah. I know. I, I know I, well, last summer I was thinking about the whole, okay. You know, cause from my house, it's not too long of a walk. And I was like, Oh, maybe I can get down and you know, take some of the classes and whatever. And I know somebody that I knew was thinking about taking some of the early morning classes. And I thought she was like, well, she's like, if if we go, then I'll have to give you a ride, which will make me have to go. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to think about doing that. Because if I have to get you there, then I have to get me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that obviously never happened because yay COVID. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does a, there is a, um, they've started their classes back up recently, but he does this beautiful yin yoga class on Thursday nights. That's um, really slow and really gets you, you know, focused on your body. And it's just like really super soothing. I love that class. It's wonderful. I should do something like that. I need to, I did the, I cannot think of MDSR, mind, mindful based stress reduction program that one of the hospitals had I think they might even still be doing it but it's like it's multi-week thing that you go in I can't remember if it's once or twice a week and you try different types of meditation and then you experience that for a week and the whole point is to figure out what kind of works for you but it gives you a chance to have some guidance and figuring out what yeah, what is the thing? And it was it was a really cool experience um, that I, I still, like, utilize. I'm not so great at meditating. Like, I go through periods, and then I don't. And then, mm-hmm. you know, um, I had a, a psychic tell me once, she goes, you are not an empty-your-mind kind of girl. You are a sit-and-stare-out-the-window-with-a-cup-of-tea meditator. <laughs> and I thought, that is true. <laughs> That that was also great for me because it kind of gave me permission because yeah. I am apparently a person that needs a lot of permission. Um, it gave me permission to do that and have it count. Right. I mean, that no, that staring and that just letting my mind go. Like I, I used to ride when I first moved up here and Joel was in the cities, I would ride the Greyhound bus a lot. And I would find myself listening to an audiobook and zoning out to just the trees on the highway, right? And just that was kind of a nice time to just let stuff happen in mm-hmm. your brain. And yeah, you know, um and finding places to take walking meditations where you don't have to stress about the ground so much. Like I, we need more of those places where you're just 
good to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, um, have you ever walked at, um, at the, at the end of Park Point, the very end, you know, the trails that that goes like way down all the way to the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's where I spent spent most of my summer um, <laughs> doing basically forest bathing. You know, like walking so slowly because the ground feels so nice and soft there with the pine needles and the sand, and then the forest is just so beautiful there. And I love that walking meditation where you just slow yourself down so much mm-hmm. that you're just feeling and breathing and smelling and looking and like oh. It's so wonderful. Like, yeah, yeah, that is a great place for that. It is. I want to go there now. <laughs> I know, right? Well, because you do feel like you're kind of like away from the world, even though you're kind of like in the center of it, but still yeah. distanced from it. And it's yeah, it's kind yeah, it was of a, a special place out there. Big old trees are like yeah, yeah so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you. This was fun. I, I want to have more, like, these are the kind of conversations I want to have more of on my podcast. You know, I just, I think they can reach out and really connect to people. And I want, I want more of that. I, I, some of my favorite podcasts are the ones that kind of talk about like, not, not with the famous person, you know, not about their show, but just about their life, how they exist, how they function and, get so that's where you kind of sometimes learn how to be human I think you know how do other people do this and get through this hard stuff yeah yeah and I and I love that you um that you recognize it you know too because well I mean you have this podcast and you you know I mean I mean that's obviously something you've been doing but that because to me I mean it's obviously my experience in my life but it's a huge, like my experience as being a caregiver has been a huge part of my personal development and my experience in my life. And there is a big story there. Yes. I mean, not that my, uh, you know, that my story is any bigger or whatever than anybody else's, but the fact that there is a story there because that's what has shaped my life and that you recognize that I think is really beautiful too, because um, to be able to, find those places where the stories exist is also a talent, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, well, and I think sometimes it's all, always like a little scary to reach out sometimes to people because it, because sometimes people like, I don't I know exactly what I want to say. I don't know what the words are. Um, I think sometimes when we live it, we sometimes don't see how important that information can be or how different it can be. Right. And I think sometimes people don't, don't recognize that sometimes in other people too, until they need it. Right. Yeah. Um, But I like listening to that because there's so many things you can apply to a different part of your life that I'm not always the greatest at seeing that sometimes after the fact, but um but that there are so many things that if we can take that information and we can try to apply it different places, you know what I mean? Just kind of, there's a lot there that can, that can help us in different ways that aren't just for that, that particular thing. And I think it's, 
it's helpful for us all to hear that. And I think it's just kind of this collective soup of people that we are, that we need more, I don't know, just the broader perspective. And I mean, we get a lot of, you know, television and Oprah and whatever, but it's not always real life. It's not, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's not, yeah. It, it, it's not always those stories where you're like, oh my God, this person is actually human. That's really wrestled with this difficult thing. Like you, you feel so less isolated because we, it's so easy for us to feel isolated and, and, and unique and weird. And like, uh, you know, nobody has this issue, but me or, you know, whatever. And then suddenly we're hearing it from someone who struggled with something like this or dealt right. with something like this. Oh my gosh, I am not like there, you know, I'm not alone in this or I'm not, you know, it's a connection that's made then to another human. Right. It, right. And, and sometimes it is about even hearing somebody else echo our own experience yeah. that gives validity to our own experience. Yes. To, yeah, to be able to say, no, this is a real, you know, this is a real thing. I have a, a friend of mine who I've met, I don't remember, maybe five or six years ago now. And she is, um, uh, she has albinism and thus also has a visual issue. And so we sometimes, we will talk to each other and we just get each other, right? Where, you know, like we'll talk to somebody about somebody like, oh, get over it. Or, oh, you should just, you know, kind of the way that you should think about a situation. And she will say, we can communicate in such a way that she's like, no, I totally understand what you're saying and I totally understand that you don't know what to do and it's not it's not as simple as just saying this should just be this way it's a there's a lot more complication in some of these things that what hearing that almost makes it easier to deal with in the future yeah yeah. you know so yeah I think I don't know I just I'm excited to put this out there and I'm hoping that it finds people I one of the hardest things I have and I don't know if this is like Minnesota unique or what, but um, people don't share my podcast incredibly. And I always wonder that I'll get a lot of really great comments, but people don't share it. And I know that it, some of it is just, there's so much in the world to share. Right. Um, but I talk to people from other places. Um, I was at a podcast conference and, and uh, last year, And, you know, that's kind of one of the big things is how do we, how do we get this? How do we get, you know, how do, how do podcasts find people, right? Mm -hmm. And it usually is that random person who shares something or there's that little connection. And so I'm hoping to find some ways to put, because I do think this is a really important conversation for caregivers, for people who are just dealing with kids, but even also their own health challenges, I think, and, and helping that caregiver, right? Like if they have a caregiver or helping them know how to ask, um, those are big things. And I just, I know stories are out there, but again, I think it's nice to hear from somebody who isn't a famous person or (laughs) whatever, you know, you just a neighbor, you know, So I hope that makes sense. I know what I'm, yeah, I know what I'm trying Jeannie to say. I'm not uh, what's that? I'm just Ginny Breidenbach. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. I love it. 
Well, well, but so you have given me a big gift by doing this interview because you have given validity to my experience. So I don't want to thank you for that. Well, yeah, for sure. I think it's a, we need to be talking about these things. This is, this is real life, tough stuff. And when you're caught up in it, you don't have, there's not a roadmap, right? And then you got to deal with it. I mean, I just, I just think it's so beautiful that you had this opportunity to care for yourself and create a different space. I just think that's so beautiful. And for for you and for your son and for your family and for the people that get to help you, like you just get to navigate it with a, not that it's easy, but a whole different grace and ease, you know, and anybody who can learn and you know, maybe they're not preparing for anything big. They're just like, Hey, I need to think about this in my life. And then something comes up and it makes it more handleable. Yeah. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. <Jean. laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I will look forward to whatever pictures you send. And if you have anything else that you want me to throw in there or share in the notes or whatever, let me know. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Have Bye. a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> See ya. You're welcome. Hey, thank you all so much for listening. I am putting a few links in the show notes for the Vipassana meditation as well as Spring Forest Jigong. And I invite you, if you have a person, a practice, a website, a resource that you love, please put that in the comments on the podcast page, on the Facebook page, on the Instagram page, wherever you're finding this podcast. Uh, you are welcome to share, you know, what you're using and what is working for you. Please do that. Um, we all do appreciate that. Share share the good stuff, man. And I also probably should address uh, about an hour and 11 minutes into the interview, not into the podcast, but into the interview. Um, I you know, you, you get it going in the podcast, you get going in the conversation, and you don't always qualify absolutely everything you say in the most broadest possible sense. And so I just want to mention that I made the comment about doctors not being able to invest. And I hope that you understand that, um, you know, what I'm saying is that our system, for the most part, often is set up so that Doctors just don't have the time. And that doesn't mean that they don't want to. And that doesn't mean in situations that, you know, where they can, that they do. I have known of doctors who have got up and left and started their own practice somewhere else so that they can really invest. And so I know that's not what most doctors have signed up for, the way that the system is working today. Uh, it's certainly not in the Hippocratic Oath. You know, I always think it would be great if doctors would all just stand up someday and go, you know what? We made this Hippocratic Oath, we raised our right hand, and we need to be able to come through with it with integrity. I don't know how all of that will happen, and it's my little dream world, but um, but I think it would be a pretty awesome thing. You know, doctors are struggling and patients are struggling. It would be great if we could, like, soften the edges on both of that, so uh, both of those edges, so that uh, doctors can be struggling less and doing a better job, so they feel good about the work that they're doing, even more than they do currently. And the patients can feel like they are getting their needs met as well. Again, Judy's little dream world. But hey, I am leaving the door open. If you are a practitioner and you want to have this conversation about what we can do as patients or how we can support the doctors or what some of the challenges are, 
My email is easy to find. Please feel free to connect one way or another. The door is open. I would love to hear from you. All right. On that note, thank you again so much for listening and take good care of yourself. Stay healthy and well wherever you are, whatever that means for you. And may you continue to find the pieces that fit into your very complex health and wellness puzzle. And may they promote your health and promote your personal growth and help you have a happy, healthy life. We'll see you next time. Take good care.